Hello, welcome to another episode of Papa Bear Hikes. Heading out on our, a backpacking trip, especially a long distance trip, takes preparation. And it's more than just having the right gear or having the maps and everything you need for that trip. It's the physical conditioning. Today's guests are going to talk about that. We have returning guest Mustafa and then a young man who's responsible for this name I have, Papa Bear, my middle son, Christopher. Guys, welcome to Papa Bear Hikes. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Likewise. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Glad to be here. The two of you, I know, are very knowledgeable in fitness. Mustafa, you we're going to get into it, your, your knowledge in just a second, but we'll start with Christopher. Just give us a brief overview of your background when it comes to physical fitness. Well, um, when I was in the U.S. Air Force, actually where I met Mustafa about a decade ago, which is crazy. We met in the gym at Fairchild Air Force Base uh, back when I was super into CrossFit and we both lived in the dorms. And so we've actually gotten to grow as you know, friends and as fellow fitness enthusiasts. And I've gotten to watch him become an actual qualified expert in the field over the course of that last decade. Um, my personal journey, um, I competed in CrossFit competitions. I was a U.S. Air Force uh, physical training leader. I was top of my uh, top of my class in basic training for physical fitness and Let's see. Uh, when I was powerlifting, I was in the thousand pound club at five foot four inches tall and about 160 pounds. So I'm pretty proud of that. And I've, I've led uh, workouts with groups of dozens of people, even hundreds of people while in the military and worked a little bit as a volunteer with Fit Flight, which is for remedial training for people. Uh, I currently work as a lifeguard at the YMCA and do swim classes and swim instruction. And then, of course, I've been backpacking and, and enjoying the outdoors with my father and my brothers and, and the Scout Boy Scout community and, and a few other communities during this whole period as well. So pretty diverse skill sets there and experiences. Now, Mustafa, your background is a little bit beyond being a gym rat or somebody that just likes working <laughs> out. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your qualifications. He's that too, though. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I was gonna say I, I usually introduce myself as a as a uh, meathead with a degree. I mean, that's basically <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm just a meathead on paper. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, I think my background is is uh, very much so similar to Chris. I, I know he was also a, a competitive athlete right growing up, and uh, he was involved with the wrestling community. Um, you know, so I, I also grew up, you know, just being involved in, in all sorts of sports at a competitive level. Um, you know, when I got older and I joined the military, I started looking into training because originally I was joining the military, um, to try out for one of like the special operations positions. Um, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a breed of their own. So I started looking, uh, into actually, you know, lifting weights and, and just kind of, uh, fitting that role and, that took me down the rabbit hole and one thing led to another. Um, you know, next thing you know, I was getting my, my degrees in, uh, in kinesiology, exercise physiology. So that's what I did for my undergrad and my master's. And that's what I currently uh, teach at the Cal State University, <clears throat> excuse me, at the Cal State University here. Um, that's true. Uh, as Chris mentioned, I also, uh, I think when I met him, I had just, let's see, we might've met in 2012. I think I got introduced to CrossFit December of 2012 or January of 2013 somebody somebody invited me to a class and uh, I've just kind of been doing it on and off since then I became a CrossFit uh, level one instructor back in 2017 I believe um, been involved in you know some of my own Olympic weightlifting competitions and powerlifting um, I also got introduced to obstacle course racing so Spartan races and Tough Mudders and that sort of thing and um, I'm actually signed up right now. Um, I have the I got the annual pass at the beginning of the year for the Spartan race. So you can do as many uh, as many Spartan races as you'd like for 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 the entire year. So my goal right now is to complete one race per month. So I'm on track right now. I have uh, two races actually coming up next weekend: a 13 miler 
it's a half marathon and uh and an eight miler i believe so i'm gonna have to do those ones back to back um so yeah that's that's kind of my uh my background with uh with fitness and uh and exercising just kind of a general general summary i have a question for you what is a spartan race exactly it's um I think the category that like all these runs fall under is obstacle course racing. And I'm sure if you saw it, you'd probably recognize it. But so they essentially put you on a trail and then through throughout the duration of that run, you have these obstacles that are scattered throughout. You have to climb over this wall. You have to lift this, uh, I don't know, Atlas stone and put it there. You have to pull this bag across the way. Um, just all sorts of obstacles that they have. Um, and they vary in distance. I think the shortest one is a 5k run. So a little over three miles and the longest one, uh, which I've done in the past is a 50k, I believe. So it just depends on kind of what, what distances you're interested in running. Um, and that's for me personally, um, you know, I, I use these as kind of just a, a benchmark to, to gauge where my training is at. You know, I, I feel like it motivates me to, and I think we talked about this in the last episode, you know, having some sort of uh, target that you want to hit, something to motivate you to keep training. So I use these sparring runs as just a way to, to keep me in check. And depending on how how I do on those races, it kind of tells me where I'm at with my training, you know, whether or not I need to ramp it up a little bit or dial it back. Backpacking, it's a endurance activity. For some people, it's hiking faster, hiking more miles than others, but it's an endurance activity. The three of us have talked about hiking the Tahoe Rim Trail this summer. So what I'd like to ask the two of you, what I'm tapping into the two of you for, is how does somebody prepare for an endurance activity, for example, like backpacking? Mustafa, we can start with you. Um, yeah, so so um, to jump into your question about endurance training, um, I've heard, I've heard some, and I'm kind of new, I think, to just the the world of endurance sports, you know, getting into, I'm on a 50K training program right now myself, I'm about three weeks into it. Um, and it's a, it's a world in and of its own. And I've heard ultra runners describe their races as a, um, as a uh, slow paced food challenge. They don't, they don't even consider it a run. It's just who can, who can eat the most amount of food during this ultra run. <laughs> um so in terms of training, and I know Chris wanted to jump into uh, nutrition a little bit, and maybe we'll get into that a, a little bit later, but um, you have to identify, I think, like you said, you start with your goals, identify them, and kind of work work your way backwards, um, depending on the event that you're, that you're planning on doing. Um, if, if we're talking about, you know, backpacking or hiking, um, then, you, you know, figure out how long that event is going to take you, right? Um figure out what you're going to have the day before or what you're going to eat um, the day of, um, you know, figure out the total distance that you're going to be uh, covering. And then I kind of just based on my own research, I, I've realized that people need to accumulate that same distance that they're going to be covering during their, their trek in, uh, in a period of one week. And uh, an example of that is if I'm training for a 50K, then to prepare for that 50K, I need to accumulate 50 kilometers over the period of a week, at least 50 kilometers, so 50 to 60. Um, so that's generally, I, I, again, just kind of from my from my own research, that's kind of what I've noticed is a, a general rule of thumb amongst the community. We'll be back after a quick break. You ever think about what might be in the water you're drinking every time you fill up your water bottles while you're in the outdoors? I try not to, and I really don't because I use Sawyer water filters. Sawyer filter technology, because of their high standards, every filter is individually tested three times through the process. I've been using the permethrin product for years now to protect me from, well, quite frankly, ticks, and the picaridin to keep the flies at bay. Don't let bad water, insects, or a tick bite cut your trip short or even ruin it. Use Sawyer products. Go to your local outdoor retailer and ask for Sawyer products, whether it's a water filter, insect repellent, they'll likely to have it. You can also go to Sawyer's website and read more about these incredible, high-quality products that they offer those of us who enjoy the outdoors. Mustafa, we've uh, interviewed 
ultra marathoners, trail runners on the show. So I'd like to get back to your training later on in the episode about preparing for the 50K. We could spend a little bit of time on that later on because that could be a whole episode in itself, I'm sure. Um, the amount of information you have on that and what goes into preparing for that. But I want to go over to Christopher at this point. Now, you've backpacked, you've done physical training, Christopher. What would you say about preparing yourself for a multi-week, a two-week, 160-mile backpacking trip? Well, I really <clears> – <throat> so I've heard the same thing that Mustafa has about weekly distances and races. I had the opportunity to do a half marathon a while ago and wanted to make sure if I was ever going to do a race greater distance than that, that I could cover at least that much in my peak week of training. There's actually some interesting research that while it, it was conducted on distance runners, I would guess that it carries over to backpacking, and that would be that uh, you could accurately estimate the speed that – uh, a 50k race winner would complete the race in or how well they would do based on how many miles they did in their peak week of training. So what, what the, that's what's interesting about that is the more miles they did in their peak week, the more likely they were to do better on their 50k time. But that was out that was meant, meant that even if in their other weeks they were doing less distance, if they were able to do more distance in their peak week, regardless of how they got to that higher distance peak week, it had a greater effect on how they eventually performed. So if you can work your way up and continue to stay injury free, then doing more miles than you're eventually going to be doing in your training obviously would help. Um, taking care of your joints, making sure that you're out there and stretching every single day. I, I recommend people, I've had some issues like shoulder issues, those kind of things before, uh, Five times a day, literally. Every time you go uh, to use the restroom or something like that or to have a snack, getting in the habit of saying, all right, my knees are bad or my hips are bad or my shoulders are bad. I'm going to stretch those for 30 seconds to a minute and a half every single time I do that and look up some good stretches online um, to get you in the habit of that. I went through a period where my bad shoulder became my good shoulder because for months I was religiously stretching that. And so that can work with a lot of different areas on the body. Um, and then as far, uh, I already, what was the question again? <laughs> I was taking notes during all of that because I was excited to go. Just to um, piggyback off something that Chris mentioned, which was uh, looking up other uh, runners completion times. I think um, that just kind of coincides with what I was saying earlier about working backwards. Um, I think it might not be a bad idea if you have access to that data to look up like the average completion time for whatever trail that you're about to go on, you know, and, and kind of do your best, uh, you know, do your best job to kind of figure out what target, uh, you know, um, what's your target completion time for that event, right? you know, based on your own abilities. If this is your first time going on a hike, maybe look at the bottom, you know, 25 percentile and shoot for somewhere in that range and then kind of develop your training plan based off of that. Or if you're an experienced athlete and you have some experience with going on these trails then look at the top 25 percent and maybe pick like a, a target completion time. I think that might also be a good way to go about preparing that training program. Yeah. And, and to piggyback off of Mustafa's piggybacking and to, to, to double piggyback, uh, <laughs> I also want to mention that, you know, ideally any training is adapting your body from your hormone systems to your body composition to, you know, how much muscle you have and, and uh, your endurance or even how your body's using fuel the fuel that gives you, um, you know, that you, you take from your muscles or even from your fat stores in your body to complete that or your cardiovascular strength, you're trying to create an adaptive response. And so the more time you take and the slower the ramp up, the more steady the ramp up, the more effectively your body is going to adapt to the activity you're planning on doing and the less likely you are to have an injury during that ramp up and that training. And I'm listening to both of you, and this all makes sense. So I want to point this out, because this is all good advice. Not all trails are created equal. And here's where I'll take an opportunity to plug my book, Switching Gears. In my book, I talk about this on a long trail, how the northern section is 
far more difficult than the southern section of the trail. So a big part of what I'm hearing from the two of you is do your research. Understand what it is you're taking on first. When you're doing your pre-trip research, don't limit it to just saying, okay, point A to point B, but understand those elevation changes, where they are, and and where they are in relationship to the direction you're hiking. Yeah, Mustafa, what kind of... um research have you done for some of the different Spartan races or that kind of thing? Is there any of the competitive distance activities you've done? Do you do much research on terrain or obstacles? That is a, is a great question. And uh, admittedly in my past, I have not, <laughs> it's easier. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those uh, do as I say, not as I do uh, approaches, but I'm lear- which I'm learning from, but you know, in the past, you know, my goal was in, in terms of just fitness and training was to be at a level where I can get up any day of the week and go do a 5k and not, you know, uh, not drop a sweat. Right. Like that, that was always kind of my goal is the, there were certain events that I want to just be able to do any day of the year based on my current training program. Um, so for some of the, the shorter distance, um, Spartan races, I would just go out there and do them, you know, whether I did well or I didn't do so well on them, you know, that was the whole point is to, to provide me with feedback on my current training program. Now, in terms of the distance run, the distance, uh, races, like you, you mentioned, um, and I've actually done a marathon, I've done the LA marathon too one year. And, um, and I, and I did not, you know, admittedly, I, again, I, I didn't, uh, prepare as well as I should have for that. I didn't prepare as well as I should have for the 50 K that I did. Um, and it was mostly the biggest component that was missing from my training was just accumulating that mileage over the week. I was still training, but I just wasn't accumulating, uh, mileage. Right. And that's kind of where I've changed, uh, my approach this year. And that's why I'm, I'm actually doing a 50 K training program. Um, you know, yesterday I had to go do an 18 kilometer, uh, run, um, again, just to accumulate that distance. And I'm feeling it today, but I, I definitely, just doing one week of that training program, um, you know, I saw a world of difference, you know, the more I go out there, the less, um, you know, difficult, uh, these runs become and, uh, you know, the less, uh, pain I start feeling in my knees the next day. I think that was one of the biggest things. And I, I remember I took notes after my 50 K race, the biggest, I wasn't out of breath, you know, it wasn't a matter of like, you know, I'm winded or anything like that. It was a matter of, um, your, your, uh, your skeletal system is just not accustomed to that much damage. Right. And that's why you need to accumulate the mileage or the distance over that, that week period to introduce your body to just that much exertion on your skeletal system. Like I started experiencing micro fractures in my shins, um, amongst other things, because again, I just, my body's like, what are you doing? We've never done 50 K in one go before. Right. Um, so that's, just based on the research that I've been doing, that's kind of the main thing that you want. It doesn't even matter how fast you're moving. What matters is just that you're actually putting that much, uh, again, uh, that much physical exertion on your body. Well, a lot of people will tell you, people that have done multiple through hikes, the best way to prepare for a long distance hike is to hike. The endurance part of it you can work on, but the only way you can prepare your you can prepare your feet or your upper body to carry the weight for that duration is to get out there and do it right when you're on a treadmill you're on a flat surface you're not hiking on top of roots and rocks and the other things that are going to be tossed in your way so you need to get out there and actually do that activity that's a big part of it is actually get out and do that activity as part of your practice well i think if you're wrecked after a training day or um after your final event. And what I mean when I say wrecked is extreme muscle soreness, which I know when I was younger, I was pretty, you know, I was, I was, I would train and sometimes I, you know, my legs would be so sore from doing squats that for a week after it was painful soreness, those kind of things. And if you get that way from your training or from uh, your final competition, then you are not being responsible with taking care of your body's long-term health. That's, that's long-term damage, and you might be able to get away with that when you're in your early 20s or, or those kind of things. But, you know, I know I've seen it with Mustafa has always been better than I have about making sure um, that he was, you know, stretching and, and taking responsible measures for the long-term 
uh, health of his body when competing and that kind of stuff. And there's something I really respected about how he does his training. And you shouldn't be wrecked. If you're doing too much, if you're sore for days after your training, if you want to go hike on some big trail and you decided to do 10 miles your first day and you're walking funny for a few days after that, you did too much. It's more important, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Mustafa, but it's more, it's more important that three, four, five days a week you can get out there and do some of the distance, maybe 10, 20, 30%, and not be terribly sore the next day, and then get back after a day off maybe or even hit it the next day again and be able to maintain that consistency each day because that's what's creating the adaptive response in your body. It's not just about tearing muscles. It's also about getting your body adjusted long term. This is the new normal for my body is to be able to hike five miles this week over, you know, five miles a day, three days this week, or three miles a day, five days this week. And then next week, increasing it maybe 10% at a time. And I would say the longer you take, the more discipline you're willing to have in starting small, staying consistent, and adjusting by small increments of five to 10% with your distance, the better you're going to feel and the, the more effectively you're going to perform once game day comes. Would you agree with that, Mustafa? Absolutely. And it's uh, funny enough that uh, Chris brought this up because he and I have always uh, kind of uh, butt heads in, when it came to uh, overtraining. You know, every time I would, uh, I would get him in the gym with me and give him a workout, he's like, yeah, that's a good workout, but I don't feel, I don't feel tired at all. I'm not sore. I'm like, well, you don't need to be sore, you know? Like the idea here is that you train in such a way that, like he said, you can go back the next day and the day after. Um, you know, anytime the, I, I, there, there's an there's an old uh, there's an old quote, you know, um, about overtraining. One of this this doctor was saying, you know, anybody can just make you run up and down a a flight of stairs and knock the wind out of you, right? But it takes a, a real expert who's gonna who's gonna train you effectively in such a way that you can keep coming back day in and day out and train just as hard without any unnecessary damage or unnecessary, unnecessary strain. So I, I agree with Chris a hundred percent on that. Um, and it's interesting also that, um, you know, that you brought it up because with this 50 K program that I've been, um, that I've been doing, I actually invested in one of those, um, those polar heart rate monitors, um, that goes around those chest strap heart rate monitors, um, so I, I wear those while I'm running and it's connected to an app or you can connect it to your phone. Um, and they have what's called uh, heart rate training zones, right? Where you can actually target, um, you know, keep your, your heart rate at a certain level that is going to promote the, um, the, the greatest amount of recovery post training, right? It tells you exactly like, Hey, you're exerting too much right now. If this is an endurance race, you should be in like zone two. Um, you know, your heart rate shouldn't be so elevated because then it's just too much strain on yourself. Um, so I, I think, um, again, I've been liking it so far and I'm definitely seeing, um, big differences in, in, by staying in those zones. Um, you know, my, my peak heart rate is decreasing with each training session and I'm not feeling as sore as I used to, you know, usually I would just go, I would go out there and run as hard as I can and, you know, hope I feel, I feel good the next day, but now it's seemed like it's, it's been a more uh, efficient way to go about that. Yeah. The technology that's available to us is, a, is amazing. And here you are, right? You've got your phone helping you train now, helping you stay where you need to be to, to elevate your performance at a reasonable rate. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to actually, I, I really like that he mentioned the heart rate monitors because those, the, especially the chest straps, I think I'm pretty sure you can get those for around 50 to a hundred dollars. And something that's important to remember is people think that if they just train harder, like me, I was, I was very dumb. I mean, I'm probably still very dumb, but I've at least learned some things. And uh, one of those things is just because you're working out harder doesn't mean you're getting better results at all. And that can even be uh, counterproductive. Your diet and understanding how to have the appropriate level of, um, of activity level for maximum recovery and also to suit what you're trying to do is crucial in your training. And so your body has different fuel systems, adenosine triphosphate, uh, glucose. Basically, if you're sprinting, the fuel that's being used for that 
is it comes from carbs. It comes getting sucked right out of your muscles. It's very fast acting. That is an entirely different system that is not going to help you for long-term backpacking. You need to adapt your body to building up higher and higher stores through your diet and the type of training that you do. Um, and I also want to mention, I uh, looked this up specifically for this episode. Um, so a lot of the nutritionists and long distance hikers seem to agree that you want to have about when you're doing your training for long distance hikes and your long distance hikes on training days, you want to get about half of your calories from carbohydrates because actually all carbs and all proteins are four calories per gram of carb per gram of protein. And then 40%, 30% of your calories from fats, which are nine grams, or sorry, one gram is nine calories per, uh, per gram. And then you want to get about 10 to 15% of your calories from protein. So if that sounds complicated or like a lot to keep track of, uh, the people who are the most effective at keeping a disciplined diet to support their training program are the people who eat the same things pretty often. A consistent breakfast of two, three eggs and a piece of toast, maybe with some avocado on it or whatever, that every single morning, you're pretty much one third of the way to having the proper fuel that you need to have the right body composition and fuel stores to fuel your training and your eventual goals on the trail. Mustafa, do you have yourself on a any specific diet regimen as you're preparing for these uh, Spartan runs or these Spartan races? Um, yeah, that's also a good question. I, it depends on the uh, the distance. So I I, I alternate right um, each uh, month. I uh, I do a different distance event. So I start with the in January. I started with the sprint, which was the five k, and then the next is the uh, I think it's the eight miler, and then the half marathon, and then the fifty k. So for the sprints, I, I honestly, I just go out there and do them. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that my diet is, uh, it's good enough, <laughs> which again, if this is, this, this is not going to apply to, you know, some of the more serious athletes, right. Um, and I think this often goes overlooked with, um, you know, amateur or novice athletes or just enthusiasts in general is, um, you know, I think they place too much emphasis sometimes on any one particular area of preparation. Um, you know, it's not until you're at maybe at like, um, you know, top 1% in the community, in the competitive community that you might need to start really getting down to the science of things where, you know, my breakfast and my lunch might be the difference between first and second place. Right. So you really need to be like, I think you need to be cognizant of that piece. Right. Is, is your breakfast like really what's stopping you from, from not finishing in the top 50th percentile, right? That's kind of like the one thing that it's not, you know, at, like at a certain point, you just have to kind of be, you know, realistic uh, or honest with yourself about that. Uh, but to answer your question too, um, I do pay attention to my diet in general. I don't think it's, it's far, from, it's definitely far from perfect. And I've been, um, I've been actually working on getting my own uh, nutrition certification here just so, just for my own sake. Um, so I've been learning kind of, um, you know, as I've been going along with it and reaching out to the endurance community just to find out a little bit more. When I did, I think when I did that 50K run, I had somebody help me out ahead of time, um, you know, to in terms of just like fueling for, for the event. So I had the proper... Um, the proper foods and snacks and, uh, and liquids with me during the race. And, and those actually helped me out uh, considerably. Um, but I, I don't think leading up to that race, I was as prepared, uh, as I should have been. And that's, again, that's one of the changes that I'm making now, since this is my second time around with the, uh, with this annual pass, um, is it, just getting, getting, getting that nutrition piece into check. But, you know, I echo what Chris said earlier, uh, you know, about carbs and, and fats, um, you know, for some of these endurance, uh, endurance runs also actually just kind of while, while I remember it, um, with the heart rate monitor and the training zones, um, it'll actually tell you like, um, depending on which zone you're in, like, it'll tell you you're in a fat burning zone, right? So if you're, if your diet is consisted of mostly, uh, you know, fat based foods, right? 
you can actually target that with the type of training that you're doing so that you use that for fuel uh, rather than relying on carbohydrates or um, hopefully you're not relying on, on your protein uh, deposits for energy because that's kind of like the last last resort type of deal. Um, yeah, that's when your body starts burning muscle, which yeah, is yeah, 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 uses fuel. Exactly. <laughs> exactly exactly so i do agree with what chris said the one thing though that i'll that i'll mention um is food variability because i know in, in in some some nutritional courses that i've taken in the past that was one of the points that was emphasized was and i'm you know this is just again personally i i'm on kind of chris's page on this you know i i was on the same breakfast diet for six to seven months um just because i felt good with that breakfast and and I thought it was, you know, it, it was good, good enough for me. But um, those, uh, you know, nutrition experts will emphasize uh, food variability. They say don't eat the same thing all day, every day. Make sure that you're, you know, you're getting enough, just a little bit of everything in there. Um, so I, I don't know what the science is behind that. So I don't want to speak on that right now. But I do know, like you said, it's uh, it's definitely a good idea to plan ahead based on, again, the distance uh, or the time that you're going to be spending out there. Um, like those endurance, those ultra marathon runners, I've seen people on the course eating a whole pizza. Like it, it, just because they need fuel, they're still moving, right? Yeah, I, I know it's funny, but that's that's why they, they call them the food, food eating contest. You know, um, they're just burning so much that they just need calories. So at a certain point, depending on how many calories you're burning throughout the day, you might find yourself in a constant caloric deficit and you just need to get food in that right so um, again just go back and find out like is food the biggest factor right now that's hindering me from you know maximizing my performance or is it the fact that you're only training one day a week right is, is it really the food aspect of it but uh, the last point I'll make just before turning it over um, uh, you know in terms of training in general and this is something that I always tell my students right uh, training like the exercise component of it is such a small part of the, of the big picture. And when I say small part, I'm, you're looking at like 20 to 30% of the picture. The other side of it is the diet component. So even if you're training, sticking a hundred percent to your training regimen and your diet is not where it should be, um, it's, it's not, you're not going to be able to maximize your performance. Yeah. There's a common saying in the, in the CrossFit community and maybe in other communities as well, but you can't out train a bad diet. And that's just something that I, I definitely would. Uh, yeah, we would have a friend on the podcast, Aaron Owen Mayhew, who owns Backcountry Foodie. And she spe- she's a dietitian and she specializes in nutri- the tri- nutritional needs of people who participate in outdoor endurance type activities. Um, and she gets into this in depth. We've had her on a couple of times. In fact, I think she's coming back on this April. But tying all this into where it relates to through hiking and long distance hiking. Okay. On the nutritional end of it, through hikers are notorious for living on pop tarts and any junk food they can get into their body. Sugar bombs is a famous thing, right? People will just load up on sugar carbs, which are maybe the, are definitely not the best way to get the carbohydrates into your body. Uh, they're just, and, and they'll burn four to 5,000 calories a day in some cases. And you will see men that'll, be a you know a skeleton of what they were when they reached Katahdin to where they were in Springer Mountain, and just nutritionally they're they're just beating their bodies up. Um, but on the in terms of the physical preparation, because nutrition is part of it, there's two schools of thought. One is you'll hear people say, "Well, just go out on the trail, and your body will get itself ready." Just start hiking, which I totally disagree with. There's like a lot of people don't make it to Katahdin and a lot of that is because people physically aren't prepared. 10 miles with a full backpack on in late February, early March, even though it's Georgia, that's a lot of work. It's tough. And then there's a side that feels you need to do some preparation. You need to prepare your body. You're not going to prepare yourself to hike the Appalachian Trail. Obviously, you're not going to be completely ready. But from what I'm hearing from both of you, there is a way, and especially Mustafa, you would, you would touch on this. You've got to ease your body up to that so it's not you're not getting that shock element you might if you just said okay i've bought my gear i have my maps and i'm going to the trail today yeah i think it can be tempting to go do that um but you're putting yourself at risk 
the discipline that leads up to it and the training. And then also, you know, Mustafa mentioned diet variability, and I would absolutely agree that it is healthier to have a varied diet because that makes sure that you have plenty of micronutrients on top of macronutrients. If your body's missing certain micronutrients, it makes you more likely to be depressed or to have cramps or a whole host of other problems that could slow you up in training or on the trail or trail or even if you're just not having enough protein like Mustafa said your body's going to start burning muscle which as you know carrying that backpack requires muscle so instead of you building muscle on the trail like you should be you're burning it um I just mentioned that there is also evidence that people in training have an easier time sticking to a strict diet if they're eating a few things pretty regularly, um, just because that variability can lead to people going further off from their plan. Um, so just having a few staple foods can be valuable. Um, now, now, Dad, what was that bread stuff that you made a few times for backpacking trips? That really thick bread stuff? What's that called? It's called Logan bread and it's the best way to describe it. It's just like a a chunk of just nutritionally dense ingredients. It has molasses, it has um, oats in it. I, I can't remember all the ingredients, but they're all ingredients that have nutritional value. The things you want to eat first thing in the morning, good carbs to get in you to, to start your morning. Yeah. And uh, you know, that balance and that, that mix in every meal, you know, there's no reason that one meal should be just protein, just carbs, just fats. For example, if you're not eating, if you're not getting enough of your calories, your nutrition from fats, your testosterone levels can plummet. And that leads to a lot of problems with energy, fatigue, and, uh, you know, uh, body composition. And so those are the reasons that having that balanced diet, even when you're on the trail, is going to be crucial. And I'm sure Mustafa knows a lot about more about that than I do. I'm going to switch gears here. Uh-oh, did I just plug my <laughs> book again? I was about to plug your book, too, because I was going to mention that um, uh, it was about... Pff, 20 years ago, maybe, but uh, when you were in your 30s, and uh, I remember that you had gotten a little bit overweight and um, weren't getting outdoors as much because your job had had requirements that were, were keeping you from getting to hike as much, even though you'd always been so into that. And even though I was pretty young, I really remember, you know, as we got back into the Boy Scouts with my younger brother and then eventually me, um, you know, you saw a lot of body recomposition. You got out there on the trail. I, I, you've always, the whole time we've been out backpacking, you've always really researched trails. You've enjoyed learning about them, which touches on what you mentioned earlier about the importance of learning about the terrain you're going to be on. And goodness knows there's plenty of podcasts and books and YouTube videos about any trail you're going to do. Um, and so that also gets touched on in the book that I read and rated and reviewed, Switching Gears. <laughs> Back to where I started with that shameless plug. I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Binney back in December. And Jeffrey is a comedian who produced, directed, and starred in his own movie called Once is Enough. Jeffrey had decided to do a hundred mile run, hundred mile um, mountain run, I guess you'd call it. He picked off the, or attempted the Leadville 100 was his first one, which is, I don't know, Mustafa, how familiar you are with these runs, these hundred mile runs, but that's like considered the big daddy. It's not exactly where you want to start. He went out and started, started it. It's a good movie, by the way. And I'd recommend both of you or anybody that's listening to check it out. It is available um, on Amazon check it out. It's funny. There's moments where it's funny, but it's also very serious and inspiring. And he had done a lot of preparation. I'm not going to get, not going to spoil anything here in the movie. Outdoor endurance activities without taking some sort of level of uh, preparation. And I know people do it all the time. Uh, are you seeing that Mustafa in the level of activities you're participating in? People showing up in maybe getting in over their heads thinking I can do this. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> having been one of those people myself, uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I have. Um, I think there is a push. There are, you know, a, a lot of these, uh, let's see. I, I don't know if, are you familiar with, uh, with David Goggins at all? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that's, I'm just going to use him as an example, but I, I think we're finding more and more um, folks in the industry that have that, uh, that kind of mindset uh, that just go out there and do it, you know, type of mindset. And he, he, he's also, uh, you know, he, he's um, an exception to the rule, but that's kind of his background into ultra running. His first uh, run, I think was like a 24 hour race um, to raise money um, for some, um, some military folks. Um, and he, he had no running experience prior to that. Right. So he went out there and he did a 24 hour run and almost died in the process, you know? And so I, I think some of these stories are, are coming out and people are listening to them and saying, okay, well, if he can do it, then maybe I can do it too, you know, or they're adopting that, like, um, you know, the, just go out there and do it mentality or, Oh, if, if I don't go out there and do it, or if I make up an excuse, then, you know, maybe I'm not as, as, as tough, uh, you know, as I, as I, you know, claim to be or something like that. I don't know. Right. So, um, there's definitely been, yeah, like you said, there's a, a push for people that, well, I think people in general just want to get out more and they want to go experience different things and take on new challenges, but they're also missing that component of well let me like research it first let me you know appropriately gauge my ability you know to complete certain things when i went into that 50k uh i think there might have been like 10 people doing that race with me um and they were like oh which which other ultras uh which other spartan ultras have you done and i was like uh this is this was in breckenridge colorado like over 12,000 12,000 feet above sea and they're like Oh, what other ones have you done? I'm like, uh, this is my first one. <laughs> and they just looked at me like, oh, like of all the races, this is the one that you picked to do first. Um, <laughs> you which, live at sea level and you're going 12,000 feet above sea level. Yeah, doing your yeah first exactly. Race. So not, no, not the smartest, not the smartest uh, decision on my end. But I, again, you know, you know, I think my background is, is a little bit different than, you know, um, you know, the average Joe or Jane, um, you know, so more or less I can, I can oftentimes appropriately gauge kind of my abilities and I I know where my limits, uh, you know, might be even, I think I went into that race thinking, you know, even if I have to walk it, I'm going to walk it. And I knew, uh, you know, I know it's not going to end up with, you know, me passing out or, or, or something catastrophic happening. Right. So I'm definitely, you know, there's definitely some method behind the madness, but no, I, I don't recommend uh, that folks just go out there and take on these big challenges without kind of working their way up there, like Chris mentioned before. Because the bottom line, Mustafa, is you knew your own body well enough to say enough's enough. Yes, 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 exactly. Um, and I'm starting to see now too, and I don't know if this has been going on for a while, but the, I see these challenges that gets um, advertised in uh, in like packs. So like the LA Marathon when you sign up, they ask you, do you want to sign up for, um, it's like a three pack challenge. Like we're going to start you off with a 10 K run and then you're going to do a half marathon and then you're going to end up with the LA marathon. And I think that I I don't know who was behind that decision or how they came up with it, but I think that's a good way for people to kind of ease ease into their, their ultimate goal and also keep their, their training going right at first. You're like, okay, let me, let me prepare for a 10 K run. And you do that and you, and you, you know, conquer that first challenge. And then they say, well, now let me prepare for the next challenge, which is a half marathon. All right, cool. Now you've, now you've been training for, for a while. And then finally you're going to end up with that, that marathon training, uh, regiment. Well, I think in a lot of ways it's, it's looking for, uh, some, you know, something our society does a lot that David Goggins, even though he went and did that 24 hour race without properly training, he in his in his book, uh, which I would absolutely recommend. Um, I'm forgetting the name right now, but uh, he says people are always looking for shortcuts, and even him not properly training for that was him looking for a shortcut, and it was dumb, and he was tough enough to get through it. But it can't hurt me, can't hurt me by David Goggins, uh, which I know Mustafa's read as well, and I really recommend to anybody. Um, you know. It, it, just jumping into that race, what are you trying to get from it? You're trying to prove how tough you are. In that 100-mile race, he went into kidney failure because something that can happen, mild kidney failure, something that can happen, he was peeing blood 
down his leg and had also, um, let's just say his body had excreted or expelled in every way that it could over the course of that 24 hours. Um, your body can actually be eating so much of its own muscle when you don't train properly for something like that. And you decide you're just going to gut it out that your kidneys can't process all of the dead muscle tissue from something that you were trying to do. What's your goal? If your goal is to be sustainable, to be healthy, to feel good, to be proud of yourself, then the answer is to train, to take the time that it deserves. You know, if you're going to go out and conquer some new trail or what's the, what's the one we've talked about putting together a team for dad? The, 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 what's the, that's a hundred mile race. You've talked about the trail and start trail marathon. And you know what? In Scarman race, give that, what it deserves. If you're going to go out and do a Spartan or something. And I'll also mention, you know, Mustafa, he, uh, he undersells himself. He's been an incredibly well-trained athlete for pretty much two of his three decades. <laughs> as soon as he could, maybe even longer, uh, you know, from as soon as I knew him, he was a gifted water polo player uh, in, in high school. And then, um, you know, a swim coach and then went to, you know, some special forces training that he got to be part of. And then I was always, he, I wouldn't listen to him. He was, he was always, he was faster than me and could lift more weight uh, and had more muscle. But I, I thought I had it figured out that I just had to work harder and work harder. And once I finally listened to him and actually got smart with my training and with my diet, the results came much, much quicker. Um, and so if there's a key takeaway that you take from this about how you can achieve that goal that you have in your training program or um, in your backpacking or any outdoor activity, it's be smart in your training. Harder does not working harder or jumping into something you're not prepared for is the worst way to go do it. Wrapping up here. I want to say that you make a good point, Christopher. What is your goal? For most people, it's not to go out there and win that race. Whether it's the Escarpment race, the Leadville 100, your goal is to complete it. And the same thing goes for if it's a long-distance bike trip, paddle trip, backpacking trip. You want to be prepared to complete it. And... If you really, your heart wants you to complete this, you are going to take the time to make sure that you're physically prepared. And physically also means that you're not just conditioning yourself, your muscles, et cetera, and your cardio, but eating properly. Uh, any final thoughts, Mustafa? I mean, thanks for the vote of confidence, Chris. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, um, look Mustafa up wherever he wants to promote because uh, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, uh, just, just, just one brief comment on that is, um, and, and this is something that that's come up, you know, over my entire, uh, you know, training history is folks are always like, Hey, you know, can you, can you train me or why don't you train folks? And, um, my answer has always been the same. And I've told Chris this before too, uh, you know, as, as much as I've given him some, some advice, you know, here and there, um, it's all the advice yeah, all the advice. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, you know, I I know my body. I, I like to think I know my bo- my own body really well. Um, you know, and I make it a point to do so. Um, you know, all the stuff that e- even when I when I when I went to school for kinesiology, it, it was for selfish reasons it, because I want to learn about my own body and how to maximize my own performance. Um, and that's the same case with nutrition as well. Um, so that's the one piece of advice that I would that I would give folks is don't just copy or imitate, you know, somebody else's training regimen or their diet. Um, you really need to figure out your own body and kind of work with what you have because everybody's strengths are going to be different. Everybody's weaknesses are going to be different. Even everybody's, um, you know, optimal diet, there's no one size. And this is, uh, I mean, this is a pretty hot topic uh, amongst the just the health and wellness, the nutrition community, right? you know, one person's advocating for one diet, another person's advocating for another diet. And the fact is, there's just no one size fits all approach. Uh, A good, a really good buddy of mine, you know, he operates really well on a high uh, fat, low carb diet. Sometimes I operate better on a high carb, low fat diet. It just depends, you know, and I tell my students this all the time, because they ask me the same question, like, 
hey, what should we be eating? What should we be avoiding? And I tell them, you know, it's go out there and, and, and try Try these different diets. Some of them are fad diets, and I get that, but try it out because in the grand scheme of things, if you spend one year experimenting on yourself, not uh, you know, just ex- kind of trying out different diets, I don't want anybody to go out and actually experiment on themselves. But uh, you know, if you go, if you take one year to kind of figure your own body out, it's a very very small price to pay for knowing your body for the rest of your life, or possibly max. You might sacrifice a year, but because you figured out the proper nutrition for yourself, you've just extended your own lifespan by five to 10 years. So did you really lose a year or did you gain nine, right? Um, so that's just something that I would that I would kind of uh, advocate for is try out different training styles and try out different diets and see what works best for you. You know, keep a log of everything, you know, make this a data-driven uh, journey. Yeah, Mustafa, and that's consistent what we talk about. Well, in my case, my, my wheelhouse is backpacking, but you know, the advice we give people is do what we call shakedown hikes. And for a number of reasons, one is know your gear, know what gear works for you personally, because what works for me might not work for you, but to get to know your body, because as you pointed out, our bodies don't always process the nutrition or nutrition the same way. Some of us need more conditioning. So yes, taking that time, you're right. There's benefits. Don't look at it as I'm losing time. You're adding time. And increasing your opportunity to have a, a successful endeavor, whether it's to complete a marathon or to hike a trail. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, I, uh, I really appreciate you having me on and letting me join in on the conversation today, gentlemen. Um, and uh, I definitely completely agree. Take your time. You know, a lot of people in the fitness community will try out a diet or an exercise program for four months at a time before they make up their mind on it or, you know, right away they don't feel well. And so they switch it up. And so there is a healthy way to figure out what's best for you and what makes you healthiest, happiest, and the most able to live a a long, healthy life and uh, a life that you're able to enjoy as much as you can. And I think that's kind of the heart of uh, Papa Bear Hikes and all of this, right? We do these things so that we can feel good and we can be, you know, I, I, uh, if I ever have, you know, kids or grandkids, I want to be able to play outside with them and play tag with them when I'm 70, if I can. And I want to be able to go on adventures and, and still explore for as much of my life as I can. Hey guys, it's been a blast. I've had a lot of fun talking to the two of you. Thanks for coming on and sharing your, your years of experience and, and in your case, Mustafa, your profession, your expertise. Thank, thank both of you for uh, coming on here and doing this. Thank you so much for having me anytime. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you haven't done so yet, go to our website, papabearhikes.com. Listen to past episodes. Check us out on social media. Go to our YouTube channel, Martin Outside. All those links are there. In addition to that, you can buy our book or see what you're missing out on if you're not a Patreon member yet. Remember to get outside, have fun, and be safe. This episode of Papa Bear Hikes has been brought to you by Avalon Publicity. Avalon Publicity, increasing the digital footprint of content creators and skilled professionals via website development and social media services. For more information about Avalon Publicity, go to their website, avalonbusiness.org. That's avalonbusiness.org.